Family. It looks a little different for everyone. For some, it's mom and dad. For others, roommates who feel like family. And for others, it's your significant other, their golfing buddies, your children, a high school soccer team starting lineup, and oh look, they're all taking you up on the offer to stay for dinner, really testing the limits of that phrase, the more the merrier. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on home and car insurance. Easier than making three frozen pizzas and assorted frozen veggies into a cohesive meal. Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecki is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Gwilda Wiecki's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Science of Magic or endorsed in any manner by Gwilda Wiecki, Relmar McConnell Media Company, its affiliated networks, stations, or employees. Welcome to the Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecka, a program dedicated to uncovering the unified nature of reality and humanity's ever-evolving place as truly galactic beings. For more information on the Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecka, visit us online at www.thescienceofmagic.net. Hello, dear friends, and welcome to the Science of Magic, where we combine the science and magic of today's leading topics to promote evolutionary thinking and co-create new solutions. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. This hour, we'll be exploring the stuck story. Every shamanic society understands what modern world seems to have forgotten. Our stories create our reality. In traditional societies, stories were told and retold. A person's story was considered sacred. Each member of the society was encouraged to share their stories. Through this sharing, not only was wisdom compiled, but the elders helped reframe individual stories in order to create a more complete truth. In the process of sharing our stories, we pull them from the recesses of our unconscious and into the light of day, where they can be examined for accuracy. When we the stories are left untold, they get stuck, rendering them partially true and leaving us to live delusional, unprocessed lives. Through sharing our stories, we integrate our experience and release our denials. This allows us to revolve, revolve our reality and live in authenticity. In modern society, the oral tradition of storytelling around the fire has virtually been lost. However, we can write. Can we use the art of writing to process our stories? Can the pen witness us as well as the members of the tribe? Can we transform our stories and therefore our lives through the written word? With us this hour to explore the power of the pen is Diana Rabb, the author of Writing for Bliss, a seven-step plan for telling your story and transforming your life. She's an award-winning writer, speaker, educator who advocates the transformative powers of writing. Diana blogs for Psychology Today, Psych Alive, Thrive Global, and many others. She holds writing workshops around the country. Her website, dianarab.com. Diana, thank you for joining us on the Science of Magic. Thank you so much for having me, Gwilda. 
Yeah. You're out there in California where you've got all sorts of are, are you waiting for the locusts next? You've had mud and fire. And... Yes, it's either the locusts or the earthquakes, although I was on the beach the other day and there was a little tremor. So, yeah, we're, we're getting it all this time of year, it seems. Oh, man, man. Yeah. So, Diana, what's your educational background? Well, I'm kind of, my path has always been healing, but I have to say that I started out, uh, my undergraduate degree is in uh, health administration and journalism. Then I went and got my RN degree, and then I, uh, I've always been a writer, so I went along and got my MFA in writing, and recently, more recently, I got my uh, degree in psychology, where I study the power of writing and healing for transformation. So I've my path has always been healing and helping other people transform, although on paper it looks like I've, you know, gone down different roads, but Really, the bottom line is it's all been about healing. It's amazing. Uh, you know, um, like I said, the traditional societies, always storytelling was hugely important. Of course, it was an oral tradition, and they had no other way of recording things. But there was, there was more than that that was going on, wasn't there? What are the advantages of speaking and writing a person's story? Well, you know, it's like you mentioned in your introduction. It's all about, first of all, it's about acknowledging what you've been through, acknowledging your story and sharing it with with your loved ones, with the world. And it just, because uh, in order to heal and to grow uh, on our path, uh, on our journey that I call life, uh, we need to share our stories and in order to understand them and to make sense of them. And yes, you're right, because I spend a lot of time in Hawaii and I spend it with uh, my spiritual friend and one of the first things she says when she meets me and we take a nice long walk on the beach in Maui is let's talk story <laughs> and uh, <laughs> definitely a verbal culture but there are people that work better on the page I'm one of those people I tell stories much better on the page than verbally so I think whatever works well for each individual person is is the path you know right so are, are you a visual person I am a visual person. I'm also an auditory person. I think it depends on my mood, depends on what's going on in my life. Uh, right now, I've been doing a lot of reading. I'm in a reading mode as opposed to a writing mode. So I guess we can say that I'm visual right now. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what's, what's the advantage of writing like your personal story versus uh, fiction? Well, you know, it, 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 it depends on your voice. It depends what makes you feel right. I mean, I, I, I don't know that there's an advantage either way. I just think writing in general is heal, healing. You know, I know a lot of people that have been through some very significant traumas uh, that they wrote about, but they decided to fictionalize it as a way to, first of all, not hurt people that they were writing about and also to use their imagination I've never been able to feel comfortable in the fiction realm. I'm more comfortable in the nonfiction realm because I think it's more more about expressing your emotional truth, uh, the truth of your heart, the voice of your heart. So that's one of the advantages, of many advantages. Have you experienced putting down one of your personal stories in writing only to find it's not entirely true? <laughs> well, that's a really interesting point. Uh, it really depends, but what I what I can say and what I do say in my workshops is that when you're writing, you're writing your own emotional truth, and I often use the example of Tobias and Jeffrey Wolf, two brothers that wrote both wrote memoirs which were completely different. They were wearing totally different lenses about their perspective of their family, and it doesn't mean one's wrong and one's right. It's just that they're writing their own emotional truth, what they're feeling, what they saw with their eyes, what they... Um, how they in, how they interpreted the story, and that's another really important point. Is it's not so much about the story you're telling. It's like what was your reaction to the story. You know, that's uh, an interesting point that you bring up. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. No, that's okay. Go ahead. That's an interesting point that you bring up in that oh, everybody's experience is different. I mean, we have the thing where you do the telephone, where you whisper in each other's ear a, a message and by, in a circle, and by the time the message comes out the other side, it's, 
it's you can't even recognize it. And also, we've had you know psychology classes, and I guess the police do this too, where uh, suddenly a person comes in and holds up the professor with a banana, and everybody writes it down afterwards, and nobody gets the banana. Okay, <laughs> so so we know that our stories, none of them are the same. So, but we do have cultural stories, family stories, and individual stories. How do you reconcile those? Well, we reconcile by writing, uh, and a lot of the reconciliation can often done by what I call stream of consciousness writing, automatic writing. For example, you can start out by writing uh, in your journal, today I don't really feel so good. I had mudslides, which I've been writing about a lot lately being out here. And then I might end up somewhere else completely different about a childhood experience or a family trip. So, and that's where you tap into your uh, subconscious mind and, and come up with things that you never even or might not have even thought about would be important to you. So, so. Do, you, do you find that um, oftentimes when you're writing about current events, it triggers you into an unprocessed past one? Very much so, very much so. And I, and I notice um, now I I'm, I'm continue to use California as an example because you know, we're being re-traumatized. We had the fires in December. We're having them again now. A lot of people are just walking around really on edge because they're, you know, trauma lives in your body. And uh, it's, and if you've had some childhood trauma also, something that's happening in your current life can, can trigger it. You know, I've had uh, students that, very sensitive students that might have been you know, reprimanded or yelled at when they were children, and they just don't take criticism well as an adult. You know, I think they're just holding on to that. So, yes, uh, we hold on to whatever whatever we've uh, experienced in our life. So we're just about out of time in this segment, um, but when we come back, I really want to talk about how we can re-trigger those old stories, and can we um, process them through writing? Okay, great. <laughs> no, that was the question. <laughs> can we process them through writing? Yes, we can. I didn't uh, know if you wanted me to answer it after the break. I apologize. Yes, we can, no for sure. And I could talk yeah. more about that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I look forward to that. It's it's a, a wonderful thing to be examining. So, But we are going to have to go into a quick break. This is the magic moment. And it's time for that break. So first, let me tell you about an exciting upcoming provision for those interested in spiritual evolution and personal empowerment, shamanic style. Path Home Shamanic Art School, Galactic Shamanism, Art of the Ancients, Key to Tomorrow, and Children of Tomorrow, Galactic Gatekeepers, are revolutionary, affordable series of online classes designed to guide and support you and your family during these times of transition. They'll be coming soon to findyourpathhome.com. To be the first to experience these classes, again, that address is findyourpathhome.com. Diana and I will return shortly, so don't you go away. Remember, you can always listen to past episodes free of charge on our website, thescienceofmagic.net. This is The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecka on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Gwilda Wiak's latest book, The Science of Magic, Book of Mysteries, Volume 1, is the first book in a series based on her writings that open every episode of the Science of Magic radio show. 
drawing on the subject matter of each guest, and armed with over 40 years' experience in shamanism, 35 years in alternative health, and degrees in psychology and religious studies, Gulda introduces relevant and leading-edge information that supports spiritual evolution and personal empowerment. Rich with wisdom and inspirational quotes packaged in digestible segments, this is a book that will pull you from cover to cover. It will also serve as a daily inspirational reading for years to come. The Science of Magic Book of Mysteries, Volume 1, is available at our website, tsompublications.com, amazon.com, and wherever fine books are sold. Back in Victorian England, a famous theologian posed a perplexing riddle. Why are the two top personalities in the Bible tagged with the numbers 7 and 11? Academics agree the answer is found in the stunning discovery of a hitherto secret Bible structure explained in a new book called The Genesis Grid. The discovery is so simple that preschool children could illustrate it. Certain claims are hugely controversial and may offend some, but at the X-Zone, we've studied this awesome new book and agree with one expert, and I quote, These discoveries appear to be beyond coincidence. So who or what hid this wonderful pattern in the Bible, and what might they do next? Find out more, X-Zone Nation, and read reviews on www.genesisgrid.co.uk. That's www.genesisgrid.co.uk. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness, I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Our guest this hour is Diana Rabb, the author of Writing for Bliss, a seven-step plan for telling your story and transforming your life. Her website, dianarabb.com. Diana, we were just about to go into the issue or the subject of how can we process our past trauma through writing it once it's triggered in the, by something in the present? Well, in my book, uh, where I talk about the seven steps, I really, it's pretty formulaic in the sense that I really think you have to be in the writing zone very often, especially if you're not a writer by profession. So I begin by telling people to get in that writing zone by preparing to write, by grounding yourself, by finding a sacred space to write, a place where you feel safe, a place where you know that you won't be interrupted doing uh, rituals, with, whether it's lighting a candle, a walk around the block, a walk in the forest, uh, in the park, uh, doing yoga, whatever it is that kind of grounds you and brings you into the moment. So the rituals are very important. And the next thing to do, uh, and hopefully all that will calm your mind in a way that you can release whatever needs to be released. And the most important thing about the whole process of writing for healing and transformation is really being fearless. I think fear is a huge factor uh, in getting words on the page. So I really encourage people just to have no fear. Do you suggest that they don't write with someone else reading it in mind to start out? Absolutely. I, I don't believe writing for an audience uh, is, is, a, is a good thing because very often it will uh, it will it will have an effect on your creativity. You know, when I was writing my first memoir about my grandmother, uh, I I was writing. She had passed away. She had committed suicide, and mm. so I was really writing to her. And I had a picture of her on my desk. I knew she would never read it. But for the most part, she was more like my muse and my inspiration. But I I think just writing. Uh, what you want to write, writing from your heart is the most important thing. And often people say, well, you know, I heard there's a lot of books out now on such and such. I think I'll write a book in that area. And I said, no, if it's not coming from your heart, it's not going to be a very good book. So in terms of audience, no, I don't suggest writing for an audience. That brings up another interesting point, is why are people so uh, ego-involved in writing a book? I mean, thousands and thousands of them go out online a day, and yet uh, people get all caught up in creating a book like it's going to, like they can identify with it. How does that differ from writing, the kind of writing you're talking about? Yeah, ego does get wrapped up in a lot of, a lot of things we do in writing is not excluded from that. Uh, 
Well, I think personal writing is very often for ourselves to make because we know the people that come to my workshops and they say, you know, I just, I, I don't really know what I want to write, but I feel like I need to write. And when you ask most published writers why they're a writer, that's one answer that you'll often hear, and that is, I have no choice. I have to write. Mm-hmm. And so it's just something that is pulling you. Your heartstrings are pulling you to do it. Uh, so that's that's my answer to that one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm a, I like to write. Um, Good. In fact, when I, when I was a young child, um, oh, I'd say ten, nine on, I wrote poetry. And I never let anybody see it. I just wrote it to emote, to, to move things that I had no other way of moving. And interestingly enough, I found, you know, some 50 years later, that those very poems are certainly snippets of them are being used in writing that I'm using for my teaching and this and that. Can you speak to how, when you write personally, it can then be transformed into something for other people? Well, I think... Um... You know, when you look over the, the his, historically, we all the stories haven't changed over the years. We all think that we're living in a unique time, but really we're not. I mean, there's love, there's death, there's violence, there's uh, political issues. There's, I mean, all the the human elements are present, forever present. You know, maybe the nature of them changes. And so, uh, the the nice thing about writing and then sharing your writing is that it helps other people come to grips with their own story and also inspires them to share their own story and make them feel like they're not so alone. You know, when we read memoirs that resonate with us and that we say, oh my gosh, I really get what she's feeling. Chances are we've experienced the same feeling, but we couldn't get it in writing. So it helps people feel like they're not alone when they're reading your story. Mm. So you suggest really starting out in more of a journal format? I suggest journaling because it's not it's it's more creative it's less restrictive there doesn't have to be you know like an essay or a poem or a memoir there's no beginning middle and end it's just kind of free free flowing whatever you want uh and i always suggest dating your entries because it's amusing often to go back and see what entries you wrote and what you were thinking at a particular time I always carry a journal. It's not always writing about what I'm feeling at that particular moment. It might be an emotion or a, or something I see as I'm going through my day that I really want to explore uh, at a deeper level when I later on or whenever I'm available to do so. So it's more free-flowing. It's more in connection with your subconscious mind. Do you suggest that people also journal their dreams in in combination with journaling what's going on for them inside for a day? Yes, definitely. I strongly suggest a dream journal that should always be kept at the bedside because the best thing to do is wake up in the morning and write first, first, even before you, if you can, before you turn your light on. Yes, definitely, because that's another way of tapping into your subconscious mind. And sometimes also what happens during the day, you might be, you might not, a lot of people tell me they don't remember their dreams. And Mm -hmm. so one thing to do is before you go to bed at night in your journal, write a question and, or journal about something and it might just pop up in your dream. And it might, the subject might also pop up during the day when you're walking along, you're thinking, oh, that's really familiar. And then sometimes you will think that it's possibly connected to a dream. And so then you can go back to your journal and write it in that way. So yes, always at the bedside, always have one journal specifically dedicated to dreams. I, I like that you say, you know, think of something before you go to sleep because I've got actual complete books that were written by my thinking about, okay, the next chapter is going to be on and going to sleep and waking up in the middle of the night and scribbling stuff down. And I wake up in the morning and I see this pile of paper that I've written on and I'm going, where did this come from, right? And maybe I can read the hieroglyphics and maybe I can't. But somehow it secures the information that I need and the the story kind of deepens. Have you had that experience? And if so, where do you think that's coming from? Yeah, well, I just think you're, you're, you're yes, I have had that experience. And it's just basically coming from being open-minded and, and uh, observational. And if you've done any poetry, as you have, you must have very keen observational skills. And when you when you have an open mind and have good observational skills, ideas and thoughts and 
uh, creativity is always going to be coming through you and to you. So, yes, I've had that experience. I might be dating myself by saying that I used to write little notes in match. Remember those little match boxes? Oh, yeah. <laughs> they used to give out in restaurants <laughs> or in napkins and bars. Yeah. I mean, I would be, sometimes I wouldn't have a journal when I needed one. Now I know better, but <laughs> on days that I didn't have them, I would have, you know, napkins in my purse and and then I'd go home and do something with that. And sometimes the, the best ideas, in fact, I'm one of those people that's pulled over on the side of the highway and writing in a journal because I get a lot of great ideas uh, during my writing process. Or, sorry, when I'm doing something else. <laughs> right, right. Particularly and if it's driving. something boring, boring and repetitive, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, shamanically speaking, boring and repetitive puts us into an altered state of consciousness. So that would really line up, wouldn't it? Yes, it definitely would. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although I have to say that, you know, after living in a hotel for a month with the evacuation, I'm bored, but I'm not inspired. So I really think it depends on your state of mind. It doesn't always lead to better, although, you know, there is always light after, on, on the other side of the channel, though, isn't there? There is. Just think of all the wonderful inspiration you're building while you're in fight or flight in the middle of exactly. a mud <laughs> Can can you uh, find, you know, have you found that finding the discrepancies in our stories can be personally transformative? I I don't really look, f- when I'm teaching writing, I don't really, you know, steer people down the path of looking for discrepancies. I think, you know, it's more about being in touch with your heart center and telling the story that you want to tell. And I often say that Again, it should not be a journalistic telling. Like today I woke up and I had my coffee and walked my dog and, you know, went grocery shopping or went to work. or That's kind of journalistic uh, writing. What I really go for and what I suggest is writing about your feelings about all those activities and how what was going on inside your head and what was going on inside your heart. Because that, when you're reading books that are compelling, those are the things that really uh, resonate. Those are the, those are the parts of the book that make people want to continue reading. So, like uh, having a cup of coffee doesn't really inspire the other person, <laughs> right? I want to smell the coffee. You know, <laughs> just make it very descriptive, right? Uh, that's right. You know, people that have um, taken a lot of writing workshops have always heard the term, you know, show don't tell. So, mm-hmm. let's see what the cup looks like. What does the coffee smell like? And smell is a very difficult to, thing to write about as well. Uh, but yeah, and then what you're feeling as you're looking at the cup, is it reminding you of, you know, how your mother used to brew coffee in the kitchen and you were a little girl and you, we're gonna you know, have weren't to allowed to on, drink it? <laughs> we're going to pick up on coffee in the kitchen on the other side of a short pause. Okay. Diana and I will return to our discussion on the other side of this break. So you stay right there. Don't miss all the wonderful things we have to offer on our website, your resource for creative solutions in a changing world, thescienceofmagic.net. This is The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecka on the Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net. Broadcast studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, to the world and beyond. You're watching the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. AVS Media. The scientist and the mystic have been on an age-old, relentless search with one thing in common. They seek truth. Their paths converge in the 40,000-year-old practice of shamanism, an ancient science delving to the quantum level of life, facilitating healing, manifestation, and evolution. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, the founder and director of Path Home Shamanic Arts School, a unique Colorado State-certified occupational school, training shamanic practitioners and teachers. We also provide classes for empowering personal lives through shamanism. 
Our certification classes are in week-long segments, enabling international participation, and online classes and long-distance shamanic healing sessions are available. Come discover the science of magic in the limitless world of shamanism. www.findyourpathhome.com Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnix, author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologists, facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God. It was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God, and finally, After the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is. For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, a place where magic and science come together to promote enlightenment. If you enjoy all the wonderful topics on our program, visit my blog, Where the Adventure Continues, at our website, thescienceofmagic.net. I am your host, Gwilda Wiyaka, and we're speaking with Diana Rabb, the author of Writing for Bliss, a seven-step plan for telling your story and transforming your life. Her website, dianarabb.com. So, Diana, we were uh, going into, <laughs> um, where were we? We were talking about... We were in the kitchen. <laughs> that's right. We were having coffee. <laughs> how, how realistic it must smell. So, does that realism, is that what makes it really, a- you're able to process when you're writing, is to make it as realistic um, and heartfelt, and what were the deep emotions you're experiencing at the time of the story you're telling? Is that an important component? It's very important. I think being in touch with your heart center is the most important thing of pers- part of personal writing or writing for transformation. You know, people are very afraid of revealing the, their truth, and but when they when they are revealing the truth and writing the truth, they know it and they feel good. Yeah. Uh, James mm-hmm. Pennebaker, who is a big icon who did a lot of research on writing for healing, one of the things he says is that uh, writing, you keep writing until you're hurting, and when you start hurting, you stop. <laughs> That's so, when you, your heart's open, opened and uh, all the pain can move, right? Right. And, and you know, it's, writing's supposed to make you feel better. It's supposed to be a sort of a release. It's supposed to be a, you know, just getting your feelings out. So, yes, mm-hmm. when it starts hurting, not good to stop and take a break and perhaps go back to it at a later date. Mm. So that break will give you time to process whatever was coming up that was hurting? Hopefully. <laughs> In theory. <laughs> or maybe you find something else to write about. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I'll avoid that one for now, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, one of the things I do, I start when I teach my classes, is I tell people to write about, you know, five transformative moments in their life. Because most often, those will be the moments where people really get in touch with their heart center when they're writing. One of those mm. moments is something that's just compelling them. Mm. Mm. So on another subject, how do our untold stories impact our lives? 
Yeah, well, there's that old adage that what's not said is more important than what's said, isn't it? <laughs> um, I was just reading an interview by someone the other day uh, who had a he was he's a pretty he's a movie star and he was talking about his family and you know his mother was a single mother and and I know that he was abused as a child but in the, in the interview he wrote my mother raised five kids I was the eldest of five and father just chose a different path and went on his way <laughs> so I think at one point it's all gonna it will it has to catch up with him and he will because childhood events always catch up with us so those untold stories will come out in some some form you know i think he's going to have to tell his story the truth of his story at one point you know there's there's two sides to every story within ourselves i believe there's the frosted over version that ma- makes it easier to live with and then there's the painful version underneath that is it the painful version that you're talking about that needs to kind of come out into the light of day it does. I mean, you know, the new, I knew the new philosophy and a lot, of, a lot of psychologists are sort of being mindful, being in the present, not digging too much about the past, you know, and I was, I started writing, I, and I talk about this in my book, when my grandmother committed suicide, I was 10 years old, and my mother gave me a journal, uh, you know, she was dealing with her own grief, she was an English major, and she said, here, just write your feelings, and that's mm. how my path began. Um, I lost your question as I <laughs> went down a different path. Um, well, that's okay. I, th- I think you were right on the path because the question was simply, um, there's two sides of the story. The one that we use is to sugarcoat so it's more comfortable and the, the deeper, more painful one. Right. And so I was writing, you know, all about missing my grandmother. She was my caretaker and I had found her, you know, she took, it wasn't terribly traumatic. It was an overdose of sleeping pills, but nevertheless, I was 10, and I was there, and I loved her. Oh, you found her? And I found her. Oh, bless your heart. Yeah, it was, you know, Labor Day weekend. My parents were working, and she was looking after me, and I knocked on her door, and there was no answer. And, you know, I had to make that phone call to my parents. Her grandma's not answering me, and, you know, they ran home, and, you know, I I still... hear the sound of the creaky wooden stairs as they were taking the herd down in the stretcher and I was told mm. she'd never come back. Um, so that story, you know, over the years, people are like, oh my God, you, you found your grandmother. That must have been awful. And, but you know, kids take things in stride and I just kind of said, oh yeah, well, she just passed on. She, you know, she took her life. And, but I think it was only 40 years later then I was able to actually write a memoir about her, more biography slash memoir, because part of it was my story, my relationship with her. Uh, so yes, it was not processed because I didn't know how to process it as a kid. So it came back at me, and I felt so much better when I wrote the story. And for my doctorate dissertation, I interviewed five writers who wrote memoirs, and I was wanting to study why they wrote them. And it was very interesting, the results. So one of the most interesting ones was uh, Kim Stafford, who was a fabulous poet. And he wrote about his brother's uh, passing. And when I asked him, why, what inspired you to write this memoir? He said, well, I wanted to figure out why my brother committed suicide. Mm. But by the time he got to the end of his memoir, he really realized that his real reason for writing was to keep his brother alive. Ah, uh, okay. Okay, so and, and we can do that, can't and, we? Yeah. yeah, we can. Writing, do, writing does that. <laughs> Keeps people alive. Can, it's beautiful. <laughs> can writing our stories be as effective as sharing them verbally like the oral traditions used to do? Um, I think they're both effective. You have to you know, find what works for you. Uh the one thing about verbal stories is you can shift them according to your audience. And if you're writing, you really can't because once it's written, it's down in writing. <laughs> Do you think that uh, will affect the way a person um, is comfortable to record their experience in the written form? Uh, I don't know. I don't teach writing in that way. I just teach it like write what, write what's, what's, what you're feeling and the rest you have to leave out in the universe and let the <laughs> universe decide how they want, if they want to judge you or, um, I mean, I, you know, I write for various publications, as you mentioned, but 
and I do, of course, I have to gear what I say to the publications and the, and the readers and what they might be interested in. So whether it's a spiritual publication or non-spiritual, I have to, certain things I don't say in non-spiritual publications. <laughs> so I'm, woo, you know, I saw the ghost of my grandmother. Uh, you know, Probably not over too well advised. <laughs> so, you know, in that way, I, I, have, I have to cater. But the story is not... I guess I can say edited. I don't really change it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the one thing that I've kind of observed is if a person has a bunch of unprocessed stories, but they're a writer, have you seen the unprocessed stories start to bleed over into their nonfiction or their other writing that they're doing? Yes, very often. I mean, they might bring up, if they decide to do fiction, they might bring up give a fiction character the name of someone from their past that, that they had an un, unfinished business with, for sure. It, it can come out in different ways. I mean, even if you're writing nonfiction, even the scenarios and the, and the storyline can uh, be reflecting something that you haven't processed in your own story. Have you seen that? Yes, absolutely. That's absolutely can happen. Uh, we never know. Like I said, we start out writing and we just, we have no idea. I have, you know, friends that very well published that, you know, I asked them, they're writing a new book. I said, what are you working on? They said, well, this is the, you know, subject area, but I don't know where it's going to go. They just kind of, and they're so often surprised, yes. It's, be- yeah. it's a beautiful unveiling or a beautiful deflowering when you're writing because you just don't know, and that's the beauty of the art of writing. Do you think that writing your own story and being consistent with it frees you up in other areas of writing so that you're not restricted to your own story? It can. You know, I think if once we get our story on the page, I mean, Mary Carr is one person, I think she's written three or four memoirs, and that's really unusual. Usually we all have just one or two maximum memoirs in us. So she obviously kept, you know, there was a lot of stories to share. So, uh yeah, I, I, I suppose, of course, it frees you up and it lightens your heart so that you could move on to do something else. It's, it's, again, it's all about getting it out, whether you're in therapy or whether you're in the writing process or you talk about it with friends. It's about getting mm-hmm. it out. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you said something interesting earlier. I'd like you to go into it a little further, and that's how much courage it takes to share your life story. Oh, it's, it's a huge amount of courage because fear... Uh, you know, I'm a two-time cancer survivor, and mm. one of the first things that my father-in-law told me, he was survivor of two world wars, but he, he was a very wise man, and one of the first things he told me is, have no fear. Mm-hmm. Because fear hinders healing, fear gets in the way of so many things, it gets in the way of transformation, gets in the way of moving forward, so I spent a lot of time telling people, just don't have fear and being fearless and being able to take risks is essential for being a good writer because when you release your fears you accept what's happening in your life with a sense and then a sense of wonder follows Mm -hmm. Um, when writers encounter writer's block typically it means that fear is showing up and so Uh, we're going to have to go more into fear on the other side of a quick break here okay (laughs) okay Uh, but uh, diana and i will be back shortly so don't you dare go away Visit our blog to ask questions and share your thoughts as we continue co-creating new solutions in a changing world at our website, thescienceofmagic.net. While you're there, join our email family to be the first to receive our topic-driven episode collections. We are your resource to professionals of the science and the esoteric, working to create common ground for the betterment of our world. This is The Science of Magic with yours truly, Gwilda Wiecka, on the Exxon Broadcast Network www.xzbn.net Named one of the world's greatest psychics, Elizabeth Joyce is now giving readings worldwide via Skype. Elizabeth Joyce is recognized for her clairvoyant ability to help find missing persons, her analysis of dreams, past life regression work, mediumship, and her accurate predictions. Elizabeth has been a frequent guest on the X-Zone radio show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, now for several years. 
For an appointment with Elizabeth Joyce, call 201-934-8986 or Skype at elizabeth.joyce. And for more information, you can always visit Elizabeth Joyce online at www.new-visions.com. The new nonfiction book, Razor of Madness, is similar to cult movies like Clockwork Orange, Dragon's Tattoo, or The Other Side of Hell. Wayne Morin Jr. and Thomas Lee Howe will expose widespread and systematic deficiencies in this thought-provoking tell-all novel. Mind control rages among scholars in law schools. Human rights are ignored while thought reform and mental manipulation are accepted practices used as behavior modification. Dr. Louis Jolion West comes to mind. Media and public scrutiny shows that United States mental hospitals are in fact destructive murder industries. Razor of Madness Expose Novel details this epidemic through an in-depth professional and personal investigation. For decades, there has been a revolving door policy that still releases killers and pedophiles back into society. The maestro of mind control continues to haunt America to this very day. Razor of Madness is available in paperback or as a downloadable ebook at Amazon.com. I'm William S. Peckham. If you enjoy a good mystery with a touch of the paranormal, then you'll love my novel, From Out of the Woodwork. It's the story of a young Toronto contractor, Sean Kennedy, who buys derelict homes, guts them, and turns them into multifamily dwellings. Slums just waiting to happen. When Sean buys 29 Livery Lane, the house fights back. Former owners unexpectedly come out of the woodwork as he starts the destruction. The apparitions come to him when he touches old books, reads hidden letters, rummages through old boxes, finds a locket or reads a discovered manuscript of a murder mystery. From Out of the Woodwork will take you from 1899 to the horror of the World Trade Center, September 11, 2001. Check out From Out of the Woodwork on my website, www.williamspeckham.com. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. And I'm your host, Gualuiaka. What's up in your world? I always love to hear from my listeners. So email me at info at thescienceofmagic.net and suggest a topic or a guest that's on your mind. I'm sure we'll all enjoy them. Our guest this hour is Diana Rabb, the author of Writing for Bliss, a seven-step plan for telling your story and transforming your life. Her website is dianarab.com. Diana, we were working on fear. And um, there's one thing that you said that I'd kind of like to clarify. You said, don't have fear, be fearless. Well, that's easier said than done. I mean, we've all got uh, conditioning that creates a fear response. How do you just shut that off? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Have a glass of wine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like it. I like it. <laughs> Uh, you know, I just think like, what do you, first of all, you can write about why, why, why am I scared? What am I afraid of? That might be a good writing prompt, actually. Like, what is it that you're afraid of? I mean, if so, if you're afraid someone's going to find your journal, you know, I found my grandmother's journal and that was my first memoir. And what I read in that was mind boggling. You know, I heard that she had affairs. I heard that she was separated from my grandfather, living in the same house. I heard horrific stories about, you know, her childhood. And people would say, oh, my gosh, I would never want anyone to read that. Mm -hmm. But for me, it was the biggest gift because that was one way that I got to know her. And, and again, we all have stories, but they're not so different, you know. So what are you afraid of, for one? Are you afraid of someone reading it? Are you afraid to just get the story out there. Um, it's really, you know, I, I'm just as a two-time cancer survivor, I guess I'm not fearful. <laughs> <laughs> I've survived too much and other little things going on. But So writing takes a huge amount of courage. And, of course, submitting your writing for publication takes even more courage. You have to have very broad shoulders because we get a lot of rejections as writers. 
and I like Ernest Hemingway, who once said, there's nothing at all to writing. All you have to do is sit down at a typewriter and bleed. (laughs) (laughs) So true. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Right. So this this might seem unrelated to fear, but I think maybe it's right in there. So how do our untold stories define us? Well, we are our history, right? I mean, we don't we we're either standing on the shoulders of giants or we're we are we cannot shake our past. So that's who we are. Um so you know, you just we are who we are and we can't change who we are. You know, I have three kids, and they're, I, I have to say that they, they're the same, and they're all in their 30s now. I have to say that they are right now the same that they were when they were one. Mm-hmm. You know, one is very generous. One is very loving. Another one is, you know, he's got a sense of humor. I mean, they're just their personalities, and we don't, we don't change. How we react to stories might change, and how we tell our stories and what we choose to tell might vary. But I think we are who we are, and we have to accept that and honor it and and use it as much as we can uh, for happiness, as a path to happiness. That's a beautiful point, because we come in, we are who we are. I, I totally agree with you there. But then events happen in our life that sometimes take us away from who we are. Can telling your story process the events so that you can come back into the truth of who you are? Yes, Absolutely. Because I think ultimately we get back to who we are, you know, and just I think so many people want to change and they either their partners want to change them or they feel that, you know, they have shortcomings, self-confidence is low. And but we all have strengths and we all have weaknesses. So the idea is um, just to honor those strengths Mm. and kind of crush the weaknesses, if you will, or work with the weaknesses in a way that's healing and and uh, not hurtful. What's the relationship between our stories and our perceived reality? The relationship. Uh, well, it, it depends if you're writing fiction or nonfiction, you know. Um, I don't quite know how to answer that. It's just, it, it really depends <clears throat> on, on the way that you process your stories. Right. And that, that's the point I was trying to get at is that if you have unprocessed stories, your reality is unprocessed. You, you, don't you see through the filter of your unprocessed stories? Right. That's right. Yeah. And then sometimes other people can, um, you know, can see the reality more than we can as well. You know, uh, I know uh, <laughs> I'm the author of eight books and very often I'll get an email or every so often I would get an email from someone that says, that part of your book just really resonated with me. I just really love that section. And I stop and I think that was such a small part of my story. To me, it was insignificant. So obviously the person is looking with different color glasses. And that's the beautiful thing is there's something for everybody in every story. Isn't that the truth? If you just open up and allow it to let yeah. you feel what's in there. Right. Yeah. If we're interested in evolving, is there some point when we have to simply tell our story and then let it go rather than remaining invested in it? Well, you know, that's all a matter of personal opinion. I taught a workshop not too long ago with this woman who said that she had a very serious trauma as a child and her therapist told her to write the story and then burn it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's that philosophy. And then there's the philosophy that I have, which is that not, I don't believe in burning. Maybe it's because I live in California, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I actually have never believed in burning journals because I think, you know, moving forward, even if you don't open them, I think, you know, it's kind of like killing your past. And I don't, I mean, we are who we are. We are our past. We're, we've, you know, we have to honor that. And plus, it also could be interesting to look back at what we've written from an adult perspective. You know, when I teach memoir writing, I talk about the composite voice, which is writing about the present moment or writing about, excuse me, the past with the child's voice, but also bringing in the adult reflective voice, which is a beautiful combination of a voice to be writing in. So, if you if you burn everything, then like, what what ha, what does that mean for for your past? You're not honoring it. Oh, exactly. I'm I'm so with you there because 
I look at my past, my history, and it's colorful in, in lots of different ways, like all of ours is. But I wouldn't have a lot of the skill set, um, a lot of the, the depth of character without. So I wouldn't want to burn my stories, but I don't want to be subject to them, but rather have them as tools. Um, and I think that writing can do that. Are you in agreement there? Oh, absolutely, 150%. I believe that we are, you know, we are our stories, but also, you know, whatever doesn't kill us makes us stronger kind of thing. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And a lot of healers like yourself and me, I think, you know, we you can't be where you are without having had something, I like the word colorful, <laughs> in your past. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> it's such a positive way of looking at <laughs> well, no. consider the alternatives. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. But, you know, there are people that wear all that, you know, whatever trauma they wear it on their sleeve, and that's how they handle it. Right. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's just that, you know, we probably have an easier time moving forward because of the way of our perspective, you know, but uh, everyone deals with stress differently. I want to talk, we're about to run out of time here, but I want to, so we, before we do, I want to talk about writer's block. Everybody gets blocked at some time or another. Um, how, what do you have, what advice do you have around that? <laughs> um, I, I have to say that I don't really believe in it. Um, I think what writer's block really is, is fear. Uh, so what I usually suggest is just to work through it, find something else to do until something comes. People would think that I'm in writer's block right now, but I'm not. I'm just soaking up on reading. I'm in my reading zone. Um, I would just say do whatever else that would feel right, whether it's try some meditation. There are fabulous meditations for your creativity. I would say color mandalas, which I love doing. Uh, anything that would break, meet with writers, meet with other people that are creative because that's how ideas are sparked you know uh so anything to get out of your head basically <laughs> yeah the only block <laughs> is the brain right <laughs> that's right our mind just gets in the way of everything you know <laughs> absolutely <laughs> so yeah. uh what is what are some of the most common mistakes that writers make fear <laughs> there you have it <laughs> yeah i think one of the most common mistakes for those especially that want to get published are sending their work out unedited, sending their work out um, when it's not even ready to be sent out, even mm -hmm. and also not showing it to anyone first. You know, before sending it to publications, I always suggest that you have a reader or an editor just to get some other feedback. And mm -hmm. even before you give it to the reader, it's always good to... Um, it should be polished because people are not going to want to read your work twice. Right. Yeah, I, I know that when I'm trying to read, if I'm stumbling over a bunch of grammatical errors or, you know, that sort of thing, I kind of lose interest because it breaks the flow of, of the information and of the story. You know, I I hate to say this, Diane, it's just time has flown, and unfortunately, we're out of it. I can't thank you enough for being on the show. It's just really been wonderful. Oh, I love speaking with you, and I want to wish you a beautiful day. Oh, thank oh, and you. And all the, the listeners as well. <laughs> <laughs> and you be careful about all that mud, you hear? I will. Got my boots on. <laughs> <laughs> Our guest thank this you hour. So much. Has, thank you, Diana. Our guest this hour has been Diana Rabb, the author of Writing for Bliss, a seven step plan for telling your story and transforming your life. Her website, dianarab.com. Remember to join our email family to stay abreast of all the exciting new things we have coming up at thescienceofmagic.net. This has been The Science of Magic with yours truly, Gwilda Wiecka, on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Until next time, dear ones, may you be blessed with knowledge and comforted with love as you let your story transform your life. Modern Esoteric, Beyond Our Senses by Brad Olson, consummates the lifeology story about where humanity originates. It is the lost continents, the primitive wisdom, the mythos of creation, and the rethinking of ancient history as we are taught in academia. There is much more to the story than what we have been told. 
As this is the first book in the esoteric series, modern esoteric starts at the beginning of time and accelerates up to this modern age. Future Esoteric is book two in the series and takes a forward-looking position ahead of today with an open and honest examination of the ET issue and various unexplained phenomena. To discover the writings of author Brad Olson, visit www.bradolson.com. That's www.bradolson.com. Are you or is someone you know struggling with addictions, depression, anxiety, relationships, low self-esteem, lack of confidence, grief, success, and prosperity? Do you know that your subconscious belief plays a big role in the outcome of your hard work? We can help you permanently change the beliefs that may be the reason for your struggles and failures. We care about getting you the return on your investment and the results you are looking for. We can help you be free of the limitations of your past and in realizing your highest potential. We work with people by phone and Skype. For more information, visit us at www.ritasoman.com. That's www.ritasoman.com. Do you think you have energy problems in your home? Do you feel better when you're away than when you're home? Joey Korn is a global leader in the world of dowsing who specializes in personal energy clearing and space clearing. He can help you create an ideal energy environment in your home no matter where you live in the world. Learn about his remote spiritual house cleaning services and much more at www.dowsers.com. You can get Joey's book, Dowsing, A Path to Enlightenment, as well as other dowsing books and tools, Kabbalah books, and Walter Russell books. Joey's work is really amazing. Go to dowsers.com right now. That's D-O-W-S-E-R-S dot com or call 1-877-DOWSING. That's 1-877-369-7464.